Today's podcast is sponsored by the Cooperators. As part of your local community, their advisors understand the challenges facing businesses like yours. They're here to help you protect what you've worked so hard to build and ease your mind with professional advice, the right insurance solutions, and a full range of coverage options. Visit cooperators.ca to find a local advisor today. Welcome to Canada's podcast, the number one podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. Hi, welcome to Canada's podcast. I'm your host, Celine Williams. And today I'm joined by Sahar Saidi, who is the founder and CEO of Lust Brands, a direct-to-consumer premium hair care brand for curly hair. You can see her beautiful curly hair here. Driven by motivation and a personal challenge, she decided to embark on a different path, one that will lead her to become the CEO of her own company. Sahar, nice to meet you and welcome. Nice to meet you too, Celine. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm really excited about this. First of all, I love curly hair brands, so I'm super excited to hear all about your journey of what made you decide to launch this brand and become a CEO. Yeah, I see those waves and curls coming through, Celine. <laughs> <laughs> it's much curlier when it's shorter. Now that it's long, it's just like, Mleh. The weight drags it down. I know yep. you have beautiful hair. Well, thank you. So tell me a little bit about what made you decide to, what, I mean, did you start in consumer or packaged products, CPG, is that what it's called? Is that, was that your background at all? Not at all. Uh, I have a very, very non-linear career path. Let's call it that. I, you know, went to school when I was 19, finished uh, first year of my undergrad and uh, I had obtained a door-to-door sales job over the summer and was making a lot of money, commission only. And I sat in school and thought, what do I need a degree for? I already, you know, have a job that allows me to make money. So um, I told my parents I'm dropping out of school to knock on doors and my immigrant parents were not having it. So really from uh, the age of 18, 19, kind of been on my own hustling, making money and slowly worked my way up, um, you know, that company's uh corporate chain. And I was VP of sales and marketing by the age of 25 at a health and wellness company. And uh, I had somehow burnt out by the age of 25 and resigned from my position, moved to the Caribbean, uh, lived in Turks and Caicos for a bit, lived in the US for a bit, worked in many different industries from retail, food and beverage, multimedia, entertainment, travel tourism, aviation, and Uh, Yeah, a lot. And then by the time um, I was kind of in my early 30s, I decided, let me go back to school. Let me finish what I started. And, you know, I was I was I was tired of bouncing around and I consulted and I'd proven that, you know, you can make money without a degree. But I wanted stability and I wanted a a normal corporate job. So I went, got my MBA and thought, all right, great, let's go get a normal corporate job. And um, I couldn't land a job if my life depended on it. So uh, starting loss was uh, it was just something that it, it came out of necessity. Um, and I thought, you know, I'm seeing a huge opportunity here and someone is going to make a lot of money in this space and they're going to sell us more products that don't work and kind of take advantage. So I saw a problem in the consumer space with curly hair. I knew that, you know, I could probably get out there and create products that work and take it to market and build a company and then hopefully teach others how to do the same. So I, I have so many questions from this. My first question is, so I'm, I want to ask this before I get into, you know, lust specifically, but you said that you couldn't land a job to save your life. Yeah. You know, as someone who had an MBA and who had all this experience in different industries, what, what was the challenge there? Because I hear this a lot and it's often the reason that people think to start a company or to, 
go out on their own eventually. I'd love to just hear your perspective on that before we jump into less a little bit. Yeah. So my experience, especially with Canadian employers and large established organizations, they want to see a very linear, a linear career path. So they know where to fit you in their box. And, you know, when you've gone, when you've changed industries, or in my case, changed countries, and, you know, your title could have gone from VP of sales and marketing to head of business development, that feels like a step back when you're just looking at titles and roles and responsibilities. So I think, um, you know, when I was applying for jobs at what I thought, you know, with a double MBA at a director level and up, um, that I should be able to land and that I was confident I'd be, I'd be good at, I was just getting rejection letter after, after rejection letter. They just, my hunch is they didn't know where to fit me in. So um, that was kind of my experience is, you know, if you want to move up in the banking industry, for example, and you started off as a teller and then you became a supervisor and a manager and a regional manager, you're going to work your way up. And, and that wasn't my experience. I've, I've always, uh, you know, followed a different path and um, again, did, did very well. It was successful, but it didn't show on paper. And unfortunately, you know, it's a catch 22. If you can't land the interview, you can't really sell yourself. So that was my challenge. I appreciate you sharing that because I think it's very insightful that in and Canada specifically, it happens all over, but I think Canada is very traditional in this way where a lot of the larger organizations, they want to see that path. And I think it's really insightful to share that because I'm guessing we have a lot of listeners who are feeling that struggle as well, right? Who are educated, they're trying to change industry, they're trying to land something they want. And it's really easy to say there's something wrong with us. It's, it's, it's me as opposed to say, actually, there's a systemic problem here. Absolutely. And especially if you've had any element of self-employment on your resume, um, unfortunately, most employers are going to look at that as a negative. Um, you know, they're going to say, oh, they were self-employed or they were consulting. So there's no proof. I don't see a well-known brand on this person's resume. I can't prove what they did and I don't understand it. And I think, um, you know, that kind of worked against me where I, I'd done some consulting work. And again, if, if I had landed the interview, I'd have references from clients being able to show quantifiable results in my success. But you just see self-employed or consulting on someone's resume. And for some reason, you think, oh, they just weren't working during that period of time. So I, I agree. I think there's a lot of people out there. And if they're especially if you have an entrepreneurial nature to you, there's probably an element in your life or, or a time period in your life where you did some some consulting work or some independent self-employment you know, projects. So um, I think it's unfortunate. And a lot of a lot of great talent goes unnoticed just because of that. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. And I think that there's a real opportunity. I'm seeing more organizations. I'm guessing your company is probably a little like this based on your experience that are much, they're looking for entrepreneurial people to work inside. So that idea of an entrepreneur, right? Where having that experience is actually a benefit. Mm -hmm. It's not yeah. a detriment. Yeah, absolutely. When I screen, um, you know, resumes and candidates now, I actually look for that. And I think it takes guts for people to be able to, you know, leave a stable job and a stable career and kind of venture up on their own and at least give it a go. And I mean, I've hired people that they tell me, they're like, look, I, I tried to start my own business. It didn't go well. And I really want to join a company like this so I can learn so that one day I can go back and start a company again. But at least I've seen it firsthand and I've learned. And I have a lot of respect for that. You know, not everyone that was self-employed was successful. So I think it's okay to admit, hey, I tried it, I, I failed this time around, but I'm going to start a company again one day. And for now, I just want to take on a job and learn. And I think it's, I think it's 
a real, there's a lot to be said for someone who is self-aware enough and honest enough to say, this is not necessarily what I want to be doing for the rest of my life. And here's a future goal. And I think one of the best things that employers can do, and I love that you're doing this is say, cool, come get that experience with me because that's just, that's great for you. It's great for them. You know, when they're done, they're out in the world evangelizing you as a, as a leader. And like, I don't understand the the resistance that so many organizations have to that. Yeah. It's like they think it's 1950 and someone's going to be there for 40 years, no matter what. And you know what? There are people who want to get their foot in a company and have some stability over 10, 20 years. And that's great. We have roles for those individuals as well. But I always wanted Lust to be a platform that catapults others' careers forward. And I think that's something that has always drawn me to at least, you know, we're a small team right now, about 35 people. But I think everyone on my team has at some point in their interview indicated that, hey, one day I might want to start my own company. And I'm like, that's great. I would love to see a whole bunch of entrepreneurs come out of less and everyone starts their own, you know, their own empire. That's amazing. I love that. I love that you have that approach. Just, I think it's really wonderful. And I think it's very refreshing to hear from a CEO that like, this is something that you value in people. Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about less and what, what made you decide to I know you said that, you know, that you saw a real opportunity to to fill a gap in the market. So tell me a little bit about what your experience deciding to step into this and and how it all happened because it feels like as someone who has no background in consumer packaged goods at all. That would feel very intimidating for me to suddenly be like, I want to create a product. Right. Um well, I think ignorance is bliss. <laughs> and I think uh, I think the fact that I didn't know everything that I know today about this industry and how much work would have been involved is probably what helped me kind of take those initial steps. Otherwise, now that I, I mean this is now uh, we've just entered year 5 of the company. And Congratulations. as much as I know today, thank you. I don't think I would have taken that first step. So sometimes when you're really early on in your research and you know you just really get into over-researching something, you'll talk yourself out of any idea. So you almost have to just see the two steps in front of you and be able to take those two steps. And then once you reach that, be like, okay, what are the next two steps? Okay, I can do this and just take it in in bite-sized pieces and and just do that. And that's what worked for me. But as far as why this space, I mean, my hair, this has product in it. And without product, my hair looks like this. (laughs) So I'm a big poofy, you know, frizz ball. And I grew up getting teased for my hair. I've been called every name in the book, uh, Chia Pet, Sideshow Bob, you know, you, you name it. I've heard it. Hated my hair growing up, straightened it, always had it up in a bun, braided it, try to hide it. But, you know, I started um, buying hair products when I was 15 and I was um, 35 when I started Lust. So that's 20 years of going into specialty stores, salons, drugstores, you name it, to pick up products. And I still hadn't found something that worked. So all the products that worked were full of sulfates and silicones and harsh ingredients. So they worked, but I knew they were doing damage to my hair. And then the products that were organic or natural, they just, they didn't work. I needed four or five different products to do this. And I was just fed up. You know, the older you get, at least in my case, I was looking for simplification in my personal skincare and hair care routines. I thought, why hasn't anyone created a product that's an all-in-one product that does the job of these other four or five that I'm piling onto my hair? And that kind of, uh, that one question of standing in a beauty supply store, reading the back of a new product label, I thought, okay, there's gotta be a reason no one's done it. And I thought the main reason was they wanna sell us more stuff. 
and let me just go out there and see if I can create it. So uh, my company started with me Googling how to start a hair care brand. <laughs> That's, and I never that's amazing. That, literally, that's what happened. So <laughs> that's phenomenal. I love that. That was that was the starting point. It was a Google search. Yeah, a Google search. How how to start a hair care brand? And of course, that that didn't help. So then you you know you find experts in the industry. You shorten your learning curve. You pick up the phone. You call people. You learn. Um, but yeah, I think it all it all just goes back to figuring out what the next two steps are and taking those two steps and then thinking, okay, what are what are the next two steps? I think that that's a, a very, it's a really wonderful piece of advice for people to keep in mind because we look at where, you know, we look at where lust is now and where you are now and, and people say, oh my gosh, I mean, I could never do that. How do I, how do you do that? And I think your point is really valid that you didn't, it's not like five years ago, you went great. Here I am at the end point of where I'm going to be now. It was two steps, two steps, two steps to move forward incrementally. Yep. That's all it was. And like I said, if I, if I had tried to overthink it and overplan it, which is, I think what a lot of entrepreneurs do, they want to figure everything out before they actually start. Then you talk yourself out of it because it is hard. And no matter what type of business you want to start, it's a lot of work. It's a lot to learn. It's, it's a lot. So I think um, if, you know, it, being able to be a little bit ignorant to what you're getting into is actually really helpful. Yeah. I think that's a valid point. I am a person who can definitely over-research things because I will be like, well, let me know. You're not going to know everything. And I don't do it to predict. It's like a, a knowledge thing. But right. if you're tr- over-researching to try and predict every outcome, to try and plan for everything, you're never going to move forward. Exactly. So now that you're five years into less, looking back, what do you think that, you know, what, what are some of the lessons, I guess is how I would say that you learned that either worked really well for you or you would never do again? (laughs) I would probably never self-fund a company again. (laughs) Yeah. It was, it was really hard. And I mean, obviously five years in, I'm, I'm glad I did it this way. I learned everything because we didn't have money. Um, you know, I took less than a hundred thousand dollars in startup capital. And most of that was from my own personal credit line. So I put myself in debt to start this company. And then I got a small loan from um, the BDC and Futurepreneur. So I, you know, I hustled and I worked really hard and I worked around the clock because I didn't have a choice and I didn't have a safety net. I mean, I literally put myself in a lot of debt. So for me, I didn't, you know, success was, it was the only option. It was either that or bankruptcy, but it's a lot of pressure. I think if I was going to do it again, um, you know, and if fundraising or raising some sort of startup capital, um, that's not your own money. I would, uh, I would definitely recommend it just to alleviate the pressure and the stress at the beginning and to give you some, a little bit of funding to hire earlier. I mean, in the entire first year of our company, it was just me and two remote part-time contractors. One was helping me with customer service and the other one was helping with digital marketing, which means I did everything else myself, whether it was supply chain, logistics, operations, you know, production and working with our third party contract manufacturers to content and social media. And it was a lot. So uh, <laughs> that is a lot. Uh, it is a lot. And, and you know, I worked I worked uh, 12 to 18 hours a day, six, seven days a week for the entire first year. So I think self-funding was great. And I don't think I had a choice. I mean, I tried to raise money and no one really believed that a shampoo company would be successful, let alone highly 
profitable and a fast growth company. So I don't have a choice but to self-fund, but I think that if entrepreneurs do have a choice, especially earlier on when you're thinking about dilution and you know, do you want to give up a piece of your company early on? If you find the right investors and the right partners, I think it, it'll just alleviate a lot of the stress and pressure off of you early on. Today's podcast is brought to you by The Cooperators. You can count on them to support you and your business with a full range of insurance coverage options. Their products provide the flexibility you want with the protection you expect. To find a Cooperators advisor near you, visit cooperators.ca. That's really interesting because there's always challenges with, you know, getting funding or finding an investor and you clearly faced some of them and, you know, funded yourself. Um, and there's, if you had had an investor or someone to, you know, fund whatever you want to call it, there's challenges that come with that as well. So it's really interesting to, to hear your perspective on that because it's, there's no right or wrong. It's right. just your experience is valuable for, for other people to hear and understand. And I think it's really interesting that it was challenging to find people interested in investing in a product like this, because I would think that this would be given the gap in the market would have been something very appealing to investors. See, investors don't get that though. They think it's so niche. What people don't realize is that 60% of the people in the world have some sort of wave curl or kink to their hair. Right. They think curly hair is such a niche market. Are there enough customers out there that would buy your product? And you know, it's so competitive and it's so fragmented and how are you going to market the products? And those are valid concerns and valid questions. But I mean, I had a full fledged proper business plan and I thought, you know, my expensive MBA can at least come in handy for this one <laughs> thing. I can write a business plan, you know, but I still struggle being able to sell the vision. And um, sometimes it's okay. You know, when people challenge you and ask questions, you just have to go out there and prove it and prove it on a smaller scale and then go out and raise funding. So eventually I did, I did um, a seed round and I got into the Y Combinator program, you know, in California and went out there, lived in Mountain View for three months, went through the YCOM program. It was an incredible experience for me. And then when we completed the program, I raised a million dollars from seed round ventures and angels. And those investors, I mean, I have a great investor group. And at the time I didn't even need that money, but I took it to form an advisory board. So, you know, it's about finding the right investors. Um, and again, for me, it wasn't even about their money. It was connections, knowledge, just bring in smart, incredible people around me because I knew the business was going to go through ups and downs. And I wanted people with different types of experiences and skill set so I could call on them and say, hey, I'm facing this challenge and our operations, what do you think? Or I'm recruiting for this senior level executive. Do you mind having a look at their resume for me? And you know, I'm running a technical interview. I'm not a technical founder, but I've got someone on my advisory board now that I call them an advisory board. They're my investors, but really they're my advisors. And, you know, it's just been, um, it's been good to have that support network for my investors, but they've been great investors, meaning they're, they're not on me. I don't feel harassed or hassled. I don't feel pressure, you know, that it's, it's been a good relationship. And I think as an entrepreneur, that's, that's probably one of the most important decisions you make is one, do you take money? And two, who do you take money from? Because I've talked to a lot of founders who have ended up selling their companies and their main reason was to get their investors off their back. So you don't want to end up there. 
your story, well, yes, that I have also heard many of those stories, which is really unfortunate because you don't always know what you're getting yourself into. But I love that you have a team of investors, a team, a group of yeah. <laughs> like a super team. My team of investors. <laughs> your team of investors that you're that is really like an advisory council. And I think that I think that's a really important thing to emphasize is is if you think of and recognizing that you don't always have a lot of choice with investors. I appreciate that. But if you do, and you did, you were in a position thinking of them as, would I want this person to be on my board of advisors? Let's say, I think it's a really smart, you know, question to ask yourself as you get into those conversations. Yeah. I mean, the partners at YC will tell you, they're like, listen, no investors are ever going to build your company for you. Don't rely on investors to do anything for you or help you in any way. Look at it as just money. And, you know, you need to go out and raise X dollars as quickly as possible so you can get back to operating your company. And while that's true, it, it you know, I 100% agree. We can't rely on investors to help. And you can't say, oh, I'm taking money from this, you know, this venture and they help this company blow up. So they're probably going to help me. They're not like you have to build your own company. But I think it's the individuals, especially at large funds, you, you're not dealing with the fund, you're dealing with your, your account manager and the individuals and the portfolio manager. So having a good relationship and being being really upfront and honest with who you are and who you're not and the fact that, you know, like I've never been, some founders like fundraising, I personally never enjoyed it. So I was really, really upfront when I was talking to investors saying, look, like I'm not the kind to just go out and have dinner and meet coffee. I mean, I wanna work, I wanna build this company. And I want to, you know, I want to turn your money into more money and that's it. So um, I was very upfront with who I am as a founder and what they could expect from me and my own limitations. And I think being upfront and, and clear in your um, communication, your expectations with your investors is really important. How much of that like deep knowing of yourself and ability to be that authentic and aware comes from working in different countries where like, where do you think that comes from? Cause I have thoughts on where that comes from, but I, you know, I'd love to hear where you think that comes from, because I think a lot of times we're talking to, at least I end up talking to founders who are like 25 years old and just have a degree and they don't have that confidence. Right. No, I think age, age does play a factor. I mean, like I said, I was in my thirties when I started Lust. I see a lot of very young, successful entrepreneurs. And I mean, my hat's off to them. I don't know where they get their confidence from, but I think, you know, as you go on in life and you face failure and challenges and you have to get back up and you almost realize it's never the end. It's never the end of the world. Like I can actually start this venture and it's okay. And as long as I'm doing it my way and learning and enjoying the process, it's okay. Like I don't have to prove myself to anybody. And having that level of confidence and being self-aware, I know for me, it took me a long time. You know, it took me until my thirties and I'm glad that I lived in different countries and was able to experience different industries and even different roles just to see what I liked. And I always say, I mean, I learned on other people's dimes when I was an employee or even when I was consulting for my clients, uh, I was learning on the job. And I think that's really, really valuable. And that's something that I tell, you know, my staff as well is, is just learn. Like I am paying you to learn. You can make mistakes on my dime because one day you're going to start your own company and I'd love to invest in your company. And I want you to have learned your mistakes here. So I'm, I'm grateful to all the people that, you know, gave me an opportunity, gave me a job and allowed me to learn on their dime. 
I think that that gave me confidence by the time I was ready to start my own venture. I love that. I think that's, I think that's a really important lesson for people. And I want to know what the biggest lesson you learned was in, in all of these experiences or the few big, I mean, listen, I want people that if you tell me, ask me the biggest lesson, I'll be like, I have four. Let me tell you my four. I can never come up with just one. So there's so many, um, my team and I joke that I should write a book and call it like 101 reasons not to start a company (laughs) (laughs) every day. I mean, it's a challenge, right? It's, two steps forward, five back. And it's just this constant up and down. I think one of the things I would have done differently is probably brought in more senior level help earlier on. Right now, I mean, again, it's year five and I'm recruiting simultaneously for a CFO, uh, a CRO, a chief revenue officer and a president GM. Because while my team is great, we are all, including me, learning on the job every single day. I mean, I've never been the CEO of a, you know, a multi-million dollar uh, consumer brand. And there's a lot of things that, that come with experience that you just can't replace. So we've done really well and the team's amazing, great culture. We work really hard, but you just get to a point where you're like, holy, this is bigger than all of us combined. And we really need people that have done this before. So I think I probably would have hired. And again, I think you can, you can, almost hired too senior too early and that doesn't work either. Agreed. But, you know, I think, and I mean, I talk about this and it's four years in, so it's probably, I'm not behind on this, but I think it would have helped, especially if you're a solo founder, Mm. just to have someone on your team that has more experience than you just running a company overall, because you're learning. And regardless of how much prior experience you've had, unless you've sat in a CEO seat, it's a lot of responsibility. And I think it just helps to have someone else that has maybe been in that seat or a C-level seat and can help, um, you know, take on some of the responsibility because it's a lot. I think it's really good advice to, especially startup founders who are looking to build a business, not just be a solopreneur forever or, you know, run a really small agency or, which is all valid. Those are all valid businesses. It's a wonderful thing to do. And if you're looking at, it's often startups that are looking at building that larger organization. Ultimately, I think it's an important message for them to be aware of because we have the fallacy that we can do it all ourselves. It's fine. I'll figure it out when the time is right. <laughs> I love that. You're like, yes, that. Mm-hmm. Been there. Yep. I've, I've worn every hat in this company. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot. And it's, it's again, being able to admit your own shortcomings and your own lack of experience and say, Hey, I've been wearing this hat. I shouldn't be. I'm not the most qualified person to be sitting in the seat. Um, and as your company, you know, it gains its legs and it starts to become more and more and more of a real company. You really look at it and say, Hey, would I hire myself for this role? Probably not. Let me go out and find someone to do these things that I'm currently doing for the company and doing good enough, but not excellent, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, I think I, I probably would have brought in um, more senior level support, just someone who's been in the industry, has the experience to support me and build in the company, but never too late. We're starting now. And I mean, good luck as you are on that job search. <laughs> Truly, I wish you the best of luck because finding the, the best candidates, the best fit for you, because every company is different. And I, you know, I'm very conscientious of that. I think that is a wonderful and unique challenge. Yeah. Thank you. uh, (laughs) But it's exciting. You know, it's, you go from not having the funds to hire people. And like I said, at the beginning, nobody would hire me. 
And now just seeing the, the, the profiles and resumes coming in from highly qualified candidates, it's rewarding just to have a chance to speak with these individuals. And I'm looking forward to building the team and growing and, and learning from my team as well. I love that. I really, I want to commend you for how open and clear you are on the importance of learning for yourself and for your organization. And for, you know, I think a lot of companies don't like to talk about failure. They don't like to talk about, you have to fail to learn. Like <laughs> if you're not failing, you're not learning and growing. And, and, you know, a real thread in what you've said is that concept of, of making mistakes and learning from them and that that is okay. And I really want to commend you for it because I don't hear it often enough. Thank you. And you know, it's, you get to a point though, where you're like, oh, I can't afford to make mistakes anymore. There's all these people that are relying on me to make the right decisions. So it's a lot of responsibility. And, and that's how I really look at my role as, as CEO. And, you know, as the company grows and I really start to think about what a true CEO would be doing on a day-to-day and what my expectations would be if I hired a CEO. And am I living up to those expectations, you know, and really just taking full responsibility for every single person that we hire and add to the team. It's, you know, these people are relying on this job and this company to continue to grow and, and, and succeed because it's, it's how they're paying their mortgages. It's how they're putting food on the table for their families. So we can't play around and I have to make the right decisions. And as founder and CEO, it's your job to steer your ship and making sure that we're steering in the right direction. And, um, you know, just always, always thinking about it in that light, it's a big responsibility and I definitely don't take it for granted. Yeah. I love that. What does the future of less look like? Like, what are you thinking is, is the future of, of your, of you and your organization? Cause you know what? It's funny because we're, we're like I said, in year five now, but I feel like we barely scraped the surface. <laughs> I'd love that. That's great. <laughs> it, I have so many ideas and there's so much room left for growth and it's exciting. And we're very lucky in that we have to think about which way should we grow and what's the best way to grow? And do we have the internal resources to pursue these new growth opportunities? So tons of growth, new products in the hair care vertical, um, related product verticals, geographic expansion. We've just set up our first uh, 3PL fulfillment center in Europe. So congratulations. That's phenomenal. Yeah. So we're going to be shipping within the EU uh, from the EU now. So cutting down on shipping times and shipping costs. So this is kind of a test to say, can we go direct to consumer and um, copy what we did in North America around the world by setting up um, different 3PLs. So just still testing on, you know, a small scale and saying, okay, great. If this works in Europe, we could do it in South America. Could we do it in the Middle East? Could we, you know, do it in Australia? So um, yeah, it's exciting and just see the team growing and uh, just, you know, I think staying true to your mission and your values as the company gets bigger, we always go back to what are our core values and what are the team's values? What are the brand's values? What was the brand built on to make sure that we don't steer away from that? So I want to ask this question, which you talking about values, um, because I do a lot of me personally, I do a lot of work with organizations on culture and leadership development. That's what my business is about. So I talk about values a lot. I am curious what your, you Sahar, what your core values are and then what, and if lusses are different or if they're the same. That's a good question. So um, my own personal values became the values that we incorporated into our employee handbook. And that is uh, hustle, heart, and humility. So they are the three H's. 
And as a team collectively, when we sat around and said, what is it? When it was just four or five of us and said, what is it about us that makes us us? It was everyone on the team has hustle. And that means, you know, nobody thinks nine to five. No one, I mean, people say, oh, I think outside the box, but here we don't have a box. It's just a kind of go-getter, you know, get it done no matter what mentality. So it's that constant hustle. And then having heart, just, you know, being authentic and being just genuine and, and caring about what you're doing and, and um, not doing things for the sake of meeting a KPI or a quota, but putting your heart into everything you do. And then humility is really simple. Just stay humble, you know, and as we grow, <laughs> it's constantly reminding ourselves and reminding each other, hey, you know, we got to stay humble and there's still a lot of, a lot of room to grow and, and um, just realizing anything could change. I mean, look, COVID hit. So many companies were impacted. I mean, we were just lucky. Um, we were, you know, 100% DTC play consumer brand. We didn't have physical stores, but there are so many companies and, you know, this, this pandemic has devastated so many different industries and companies. And it's, it's sad, but you also have to stay humble that just because we weren't impacted this time around doesn't mean something else can't come and impact us. So never thinking that you've made it, never thinking you're ahead. Yeah, so hustle, heart, humility. And then on the brand side, you know, we've, we've got our values listed on our website, but keeping things refreshingly real, like using real customers in our ads and not Photoshop models. We don't airbrush anything. Like everything is as it is. Amen. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it just is what it is, right? Keeping things as real as possible and being transparent and honest with our customers. Like we communicate with our customers all the time and we keep it super, super real. We divulge information that a lot of consumer brands probably wouldn't tell, you know, let their customer base know, but we do. And it's paid off for us. I think, um, com- you know, customers just came to trust us because they knew we weren't always going to tell them what they wanted to hear, but it was going to be the truth and it was going to be honest. So yeah, those are a few of our values. I love that. Before we wrap this up, I'm going to ask this question. You might have noticed that I have a few books on my shelf. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm wondering if there is a book or a podcast or something, whatever, not everyone's a book nerd. Like mine would always be a book. I'm not saying yours has right? to be, yeah. but that you would say this made a difference in my life somehow that you would recommend to our listeners or our viewers. There are so many, but you know, I started my career out in door-to-door commission only sales and back then, our Bible was Ogmandino's greatest salesman in the world. And I still recommend, whether your career is in sales or not, I think everybody should read that book. It's a, it's, it's a great little book. You can probably read it in a matter of hours. But you know, no matter what you do in life, you're always selling. Whether as an entrepreneur, you're trying to sell investors on your idea and your vision, and you know, or you're selling potential candidates to come and join you at your company, or you're selling your exe- your existing employees on the future of the company. I mean, it's sales has such a negative connotation as a word on its own, but we're always selling. And as entrepreneurs, we are selling more often than the average human being. So I think um, no matter what industry you're going into, just being able to hone in on sales psychology and just some basic in sales. And that's a great book. I think it's a wonderful suggestion. Thank you for joining me today. Thank and you for, for sharing. Me. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Our, you, we will have all the links to your website and social media, but for those listening, it's less brands, L U S brands.ca or at less brands on social media. You can check out all of Sahara's amazing products there. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to speaking with you again sometime. Thank you, Celine. It was a pleasure. 
Today's podcast is brought to you by The Cooperators. You can count on them to support you and your business with a full range of insurance coverage options. Their products provide the flexibility you want with the protection you expect. To find a Cooperators advisor near you, visit cooperators.ca.